0: Hey, everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too.
1: I've got good news for you, though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com
2: slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app.
0: Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world with the guts to say that Go Cubs Go is a bop. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And you are listening to the National League Central Preview here on Baseball Barbacast.
1: Yes, it is our third division preview. You've already listened to us talk about the East with our East Coast bias, the AL East, the NL East. Now we head to Middle America where the Cubs, Pirates, Reds, Brewers, and Cardinals will be facing off. Not as many times this year as they have in the past, but we are going to preview this division one team at a time from worst to first. If you're wondering, wow, why aren't they starting with the World Baseball Classic stuff? We just did a whole podcast about that, so you can go check that out. Also on this here, same feed, all things Trout versus Otani. Got that covered, but on this episode, we're just talking NL Central. But before we get to that, Jake, I know we have some news. We have some news. Everyone is excited about March Madness, but what if I
0: told you that it's time for merch madness? That's right, that's not a misspeak. We have merch, my dear, dear friends. I have been teasing some of these hats and sweatshirts and water bottles and mugs on the internet, on our Instagram, on some of these videos, and now they are finally available for purchase. We will have the link included on our Twitter. And oh boy, am I excited. Yes,
1: uh, I know that you have been rocking these hats for quite some time. We're super excited about it. We got hats, we got shirts, we got water bottles, we got all kinds of fun stuff. So follow the link either whether it's on Twitter in the description here. Um, And yeah, go get yourself some great stuff. Of course, our our favorite piece of merch, the Barba hat. Yes, it is a hat with the word hat on it. Nothing better than that. Um, but yeah, any opportunity to make silly jokes on merch. This is not something we've really ever had in our lives as as a as a quote unquote brand. Uh, it's never really something that we pursued. But now, because uh, this podcast has has kind of got to the point where we were where we have an awesome logo, thanks to the awesome people who helped uh, you know make that a reality. We decided, hey, let's 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 have some uh, some fun stuff. That's a great point, Jordan. I have been very meh on merch for our entire existence
0: because i think a lot of podcast or like tv show related merch is lame i believe this i still believe this even as i'm going to try and sell you our own merch and the reason i'm going to do that is cuz our merch is actually good like the hat Ooh, interesting. is actually good it's not a podcast hat it's a podcast it's a hat that has a podcast logo on it that you can wear to a variety of events people will say, what's that logo?
1: And then you'll be like, oh, Jake and Jordan, they're fine. Hey, Jake, even though we haven't made a YouTube video in months, we're now officially YouTubers talking about our merch drops. I mean, this is big time. I'm so proud of us, we finally made it. So anyway, yes, you can find all the relevant links there, but let's get to the baseball because some of you are like, I don't care, I'm not wearing your stupid hats and that's also okay. But now, as punishment, you get to hear us talk about the Cincinnati Reds, who we will <laughs> begin with. Now, let us just remind you the way these previews will work. Uh, we're going to tell you what happened last year. We're going to tell you what happened to these teams over the winter, give you the general projection for their roster. Our three biggest questions for the team, and of course, each team's barometer bonds, their berry bonds to determine what their season will truly look like. And then we will finish. With the all-over-under, Jake, we begin with the Cincinnati Reds in the National League Central, a team that I will be seeing a lot of this season. It is now the Major League team closest to where I reside. So I'll be spending a lot of time at GABP, as it is known. And they are projected for a not-so-nice 69 wins, courtesy of the Fangraph's playoff odds. What happened to the Reds in 2022, Jake? Well, let's start with, let's start from the beginning and then speed through the rest. This team was historically horrific to start the season. I believe they were three and twenty-two at one point on May. Yes, three and twenty-two on May fifth, which is a speed run towards relevance, even for a team without not without much expectations. Where they were truly terrible. That they only finished with a hundred losses is perhaps a giant success. But that is what happened to the Reds in 2022.
0: A Hanukkah miracle. And then around the deadline, they traded anything of any value away for prospects. And they did a pretty good job at that. We won't dive into all those trades right now. Their winter was predictably underwhelming. In comes Will Myers, Kevin Newman, and Will Benson, who I am a little bit excited about. Out the door is Mike Moustakis, Donovan Solano, and Jeff Hoffman. Now, this starting lineup, which we're going to run you through, is so meh. So just be prepared. If you're driving a car right now, don't get disgusted when I tell you this lineup. (laughs) Behind the plate is Tyler Stevenson, who we'll get to, who we like quite a bit. Will Myers at first. Jonathan India at second. Kevin Newman at short. Spencer Steer, one of their uh, top prospects they got last year at third base. With the outfield of Will Benson in center, Jake Fraley and TJ Friedel, who sounds like a pitcher in left field. Starting rotation, Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, Luis Sessa, oh, Brandon Williamson, and then the bullpen, one of the bright spots of last year, Alexis Diaz, Lucas Sims, reverse San Martin. This team, Jordan, is just aggressively mid.
1: I actually think they might be the worst team in baseball. So not mid. Mid sounds like they are not. Aggressively mid would be a fantastic outcome, I think, in 2023 (laughs) Reds. Um, Offensively, especially, not a lot to look forward to. Let's get to our three biggest questions. And number one, it's obvious. Is this the end of Joey Votto? And what is the end of Joey Votto? Joey Votto coming off Uh, I believe it was labrum surgery last year. He played through it for the first couple months and then decided this hurts a lot. I can't actually really swing or play baseball. He decided to get surgery at obviously uh, a, a rather old age to get a serious surgery like this and hope to come back. But he has finally made it to the end of his incredibly long extension with the Cincinnati Reds. $20 million team option for 2024. So if he bounces back, maybe the Reds will pick that one back up. But assuming that is not the case, this will likely be the end of Joey Votto in Cincinnati. Um, And that is kind of really sad on a lot of levels, but also because he's so fascinating, there is great potential for this to go in a lot of different directions that will be interesting because it is Joey Votto. In 2021, Joey Votto was
0: awesome. In 129 games, he posted a 938 OPS. It looked like he had turned the clock back and had figured some things out and had kind of um, evolved as a hitter in a way that allowed him to continue to make an impact deep into his 30s. But injuries really robbed him of any effectiveness
1: last year. But that's the thing, right? I, you know, you hear the cliche of never underestimate the heart of a champion. Um, do not underestimate the. You know, possibility that a Hall of Fame talent like this can have one last 130 OPS plus season. It should not take you by surprise, right? Yes, this is a serious surgery he's coming back from. Yes, he is, you know, battling, you know, the test of time and he is much older and he's, he's not exactly going to be playing in meaningful games, but I will not be shocked if he can kind of go out with one last bang. And I know he wants to play as long as he's good, he's going to keep playing and hopefully. Uh, Hopefully, you know, we're going to enjoy it as long as we can because he is, he is special. You make a point about this being somewhat sad. And the reason that I also find it to be
0: sad is that Votto committed to the Reds, mm-hmm. but the Reds have not committed to Joey Votto in the same way. Yes, they paid him the money he was owed, but they failed Straight up failed to build a contender around one of the greatest players of a generation who agreed to stay in Cincinnati for the entirety of his career. And now we are staring down the barrel of what could be the worst Reds team he's ever been on in his final season. I know they've been bad at a lot of. Well, them. I Here's just think Jordan.
1: last year, I think he was generally spared of the worst team by not being on that. Although, of course, because he's Joey Votto, he was going to games and sitting in the booth and going out in the stands, and right. he is something. And I'm I'm excited to to kind of be around that this season.
0: Now, how does it end? It either ends with a good Joey Votto. Uh, okay, he could be incredible, and they could pick up the option. He could be really good and hit free agency and sign somewhere else for another year or two maybe Toronto, where he's from, okay? He could be good and they trade him at the deadline in one of the weirder scenes we've ever seen, or he could be bad and it just fades away into nothing. I am rooting for good and a trade so Joey Votto can experience baseball joy in a way that he's never gotten to. I referred to him as baseball's Dame Lillard, a player who committed to staying in a smaller market, a player who, though winning is important to him, Being comfortable and being great and making an impact in a place, in a community, is just as important. And Joey Votto has succeeded in that
1: regard. I know it's different because the Reds stink. I think we are also heading towards, if he comes back and is good, a Clayton Kershaw situation where it's like he's either on the Blue Jays or he's on the Reds. There are no other options in the same way it has been with Kershaw and the Rangers. Let's move on to number two. That is Tyler Stevenson. This is a player that... Reds fans should be extremely excited about. He has the possibility, the potential to be a top catcher in this game. When he has been healthy, he has been a legitimately awesome hitter, not just for a catcher. And now their challenge is, can we keep this guy on the field and have him catch enough to create enough value to be one of the best catchers in baseball? Or is it a guy who's going to play first base at DH and catch 40 games and is just a regular good hitter instead of a star that he truly could be behind the plate? Well, that's the thing. He's not a bad defender. Like he's a pretty good
0: defensive catcher. He's just had so many injuries back there that they almost, it's in their best interest to like Bryce Harper him. Just get him out of the gear, put him out in the field, let the bat work. I mean, in 50 games last year, I know that's a small sample. He was a 130 OPS
1: hitter, which is a catcher. I mean, now it's higher than JT Real Muto. Yeah. And that's the thing. And so and for him, when he can be their best hitter right now, that's the number one goal is to make sure he's in the lineup as much as possible. I'm a huge believer. I think by the end of the season, I think he would be my pick if he's healthy to be the Reds All-Star, even more than some of the pitchers that I think we're really excited about. But I love Tyler Stevenson. I'm I'm a huge fan of that guy. Last question. How does the fan base react attendance-wise to this ownership group's
0: cheapskate bullshit? This ownership group has been more brash and upfront about their frugalness than anybody else. One of the owners, I believe, uh, Baby Castellini, said something along the lines of, where else are you going to go? Which, to me, is the most insulting thing one could possibly say. Attendance was down pretty significantly last year in Cincinnati. If I'm the Reds' fan base, I'm just boycotting. I'm boycotting the team for 2023. If you're not going to invest in me, We're not going to invest in you. I'm going to go watch the Florence
1: Y'alls. I'll catch you later. Joe Burrow's pretty good. I think they're going to be just fine Uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, But yes, I, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it is disappointing because I think they do have an underrated core of young talent here in place that could, by the end of the season, be like, damn, like they really have some pieces here along with the great farm system that we're not even really touching on in this. Um, But. Starts at the top, and until they fix that, they are not going to have much of a chance. And it's a
0: bummer because this is a great baseball town, a great baseball fan base, and a place that deserves to be invested in, and to see where it's fallen to is just such a bummer. Jordan, I hope that you have a good sense of it by the time the season's over. Okay, our barometer bonds, I think it's pretty straight up. Hunter Green, the throwing right-hander who debuted last season, for the first half he was electric and bad and the second half he was electric
1: and legitimately good. What are you looking for from Hunter Green this year? I mean, I love when someone with this explosive talent ends up with a 101 ERA plus. like it amounted to a very average season, but he was a 22 year old rookie. He's throwing harder than any other starting pitcher in baseball. Um, and it's all there, man. like he's just he's just a couple tweaks away from being one of the best pitchers in baseball. I truly believe if he can stay healthy, he absolutely should be able to be that. There's no reason why he can't. Sure, he probably is always going to have a Garrett Cole kind of problem of giving up massive home runs, especially in that ballpark. But he's so talented. I'm a believer. I'm buying. I think he could also easily be their all star this year. But it, he's so important. If they, if he is, it doesn't become a frontline ace. Then it is going to be. A, I know they have a lot of other young pitchers that are exciting that I like. I like Lodolo. I like Ashcraft. It's all about Hunter Green. He has to be what he's been hyped to be, and I think he can be. Over under in Vegas is 65 and a half. I will go ahead and tickle the under on that. Yeah, I think I'll take the slight under two. Offense just. I'm really concerned about the offense. I'm like kind of in on this pitching staff, honestly, but the offense I I think could be in a really, really bad place. Let's
0: move on to the Pittsburgh Pirates who are projected to go 74 and 88, a market improvement on what they did last season, where for me, the lasting memory of the 2022 Pirates was the game in which Aaron Judge Hit the home run off them in the ninth inning. I think it was home run over 60 and they were just the character foil for one of the most impressive performances that Judge had last season. Some incremental progress for them in 2022. O'Neill Cruz came up and was fascinating in a full season. Some good things in the pitching staff, but not as much progress as Pirates fans wanted to see, especially when the Orioles and the AL East, a team that was on like a similar rebuild timeline made such a notable jump forward. That being said, they did have a fascinating offseason that we will dive into a little bit on the way out. Ben Gamble and Roberto Perez, how will they replace such franchise legends? Speaking of franchise legends, Andrew McCutcheon is back in town, acquired in free agency alongside Carlos Santana, G-Man Choi through trade, Austin Hedges, Kevin Ploiecki, Connor Joe, Rich Hill, and Vince Velasquez. Going through their starting lineup behind the dish will be that tandem of Kevin Ploiecki and Austin Hedges, at least until some of their catching prospects get the call to the big leagues. G-Man will be at first. Uh, second base is kind of up in the air, but it looks like either G-Juan Bae or Rodolfo Castro shortstop will be O'Neal Cruz. Cabrian Hayes at third base. In center field, uh, I believe is going to be Brian Reynolds. And then the corners will be Jack Sawinski and Andrew McCutcheon with Carlos Santana DHing. The rotation I kind of like is Mitch Keller, Roancy Contreras, Rich Hill, JT Brubaker, and Vince Velasquez with a whole host of hard-throwing prospects waiting in the wings. The bullpen, David Bednar, who pitched for Team USA last night and was their all-star rep, Will Crow, and the criminally underrated tandem of Dwayne Underwood Jr. and friend of the pod, Chase DeYoung. Those are your Pittsburgh Pirates. Jordan, I would actually like to start with their free agency. Mm -hmm. I made a joke to you before we started that the Pirates uh, in free agency did a big brother, little brother program where they went out and signed free agents that almost feel specifically tailored to mentor young players that are already on their roster, right? Like Rich Hill is there for Mitch Keller and the rest of the young pitchers. Andrew McCutcheon is there. For Brian Hayes and Carlos Santana is there for O'Neal Cruz, right? And G Man Choi is there for G Wan Bay and Austin Hedges and, and Ploeki are there for Henry Davis, right? It felt kind of very obvious in how they went about it.
1: So my first question is, how successful is this strategy in 2023? I mean, I think it's it's a great way to do it. Like, there is different ways to go about developing your young players, and th- what <laughs> the challenge here is. How much playing time are you taking away from some of these other guys, right? Particularly on the, in the pitching staff when you also add in a guy like Vince Velasquez. Like there is enough talent here where it's like cool. It's it's great that Carlos Santana is here to to help O'Neill Cruz, but does he end up blocking some of the other guys who are actually a part of the future? You know, same with the catchers at some point this season with someone like Henry Davis or Andy Rodriguez. But as far, as far as I'm concerned, I, I like it. I think, it's a good, I think it's a good strategy. I think those players can also help you be more of a competent big league team. And if they become trade bait, then, then great. That's also totally fine. And those players know exactly why they're there for that. So it's not like they're having any sort of you know, disillusions as to the point. And so if everyone's on the same page, I think it can definitely pay off. Rich Hill knows he will not be on the next good Pirates team. He
0: is there to help ensure that there is a next good Pirates team. Right, and you, There are two levels of, su- of grading the success. One is, is Rich Hill, Carlos Santana, whatever, are they good enough to trade at the deadline for new prospects? And are they making a positive, positive enough impact on those younger players that they are good for the long haul? Next question, speaking of younger players, O'Neill Cruz came up at the end of 2021, hit a ball harder than any pirate had ever hit a ball in the StatCast era, came up uh, in the middle, beginning of 2022, And was basically exactly what we expected. A volatile, free-swinging baseball freak who hit the hardest baseball in the history of the StatCast era. But our question leading into 2023 is, can O'Neill Cruz improve his swing decisions enough that he can become more than a human highlight reel and an actual good baseball player?
1: I think it's going to take a while. I don't imagine that he is going to figure it all out at once, but the fact that he already hit 17 homers last year in 87 games, like he had never hit, he had 17 homers. I know he, he had some injuries, but like he had never hit that many in a full minor league season before. And he was already able, even with his OBP under 300 to <laughs> slog 450. And that's where I feel like this is not going to be a one-year thing. I think he will make improvements I think he will continue to give us highlights unlike any other player in the sport. And I think that alone is is going to be enough to to tune to, to tune into Pirates games. I mean that it's very that is a very rare thing in baseball to tune in for one player's everything for his defense and his offense. Uh, let alone on the pirates, and he is that. There is nothing like him, and I am. I'm. I'm just excited to see how he can figure it out. And and, and the great thing is they're gonna Finally, they going to let him. Finally, they're going to let him. I don't see a situation where they're going to send him back to AAA for any reason, unless it's really, really, really bad. Um, and I. I can't wait. I. I can't wait to see the kinds of home runs that he is hitting this season. The thing that's weird with Cruz is that you know he chases, but he doesn't
0: chase it at an insane level, right? It's not bottom of the barrel. To- Swinging out of the zone. The issue with him is more about in-zone contact. I mean, he had the 11th worst contact rate overall in baseball last year. Now, he is around guys like John Carlos Stanton and Javi Baez and Teoscar Hernandez. You can be a good player and sit down there on that leaderboard, but it requires you to be so good at other things. And I am skeptical – like, if if it was more about laying off pitches for him, that'd be one thing. I have more concern that he just has such a long swing in zone that it's going to preclude him from making enough contact to be an impact player. Let's go from one end of the
1: baseball spectrum to the other and talk about... Oh, Jake fell asleep. Brian Reynolds. How exciting. Sorry. Brian Reynolds, probably the most productive, boring person on earth uh in this great sport that we love he in the spiciest move he has ever made demanded a trade you know this is by far the spiciest thing ever associated with brian reynolds but let's also just remember that like the reason why this matters is because the dude is really good he is a really 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 good player probably a top five or seven switch hitter in the league uh, not to mention, I mean, his defense kind of went backwards last year in center field, but I I could not blame him if he wasn't exactly exerting the maximum effort for the Pirates out there uh, in, the, in the, the, the large expanse that is the PNC Park outfield. Um, he's really, really good. And that's why this does matter. And that's why how this season unfolds with him and whether they're able to somehow spend and give him an extension or whether they are going to trade him for another giant bucket of prospects. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I feel like this still ends in a Brian Reynolds trade. I still don't know if that's happening this season or after the season. I'm not surprised it didn't happen this winter. But um, yeah, he is important. He wanted an extension. He was
0: open to an extension. The Pirates did not offer him the type of money he was looking for, which is no surprise considering the frugality of this ownership group as well. So then he went out and said, I would like to be traded to a place where I can sign that extension, which is totally within his right. And the Pirates at that point had zero leverage to trade him, right? Before the season, teams are not necessarily looking to give up a host of prospects like that when they don't know how good their team is. I think the Pirates will have more leverage at the deadline this year to trade him if we get like an outfield injury and a contender, right? Once the demand goes up, I think they'll be able to capitalize on that. What's interesting is if he's good, I think they trade him. And if he's bad, I think that the price goes down and they could extend him, which is just a very bizarre backwards kind of way to think about it. But Jordan, who is the barometer bonds for the 2023 Pirates?
1: I think it's Cabrian Hayes. He's another kind of, first of all, someone that they already extended. They've already committed to Cabrian Hayes in a long term in a deal that Because he's a weirdly polarizing player, I think some people thought, oh my God, that's a steal. And some people thought, oh my God, why are we paying so much for a guy that that has not demonstrated an ability to lift the ball since his 24 incredible games in 2020? He's still hitting the ball really hard. He is already probably one of the three to four best third basemen in the league. And that's not a small thing. Like he is that good. He is that good. And so that is a baseline of a player that is worth building around to have super duper elite third base defense. But the 87 OPS plus is that's that's not good enough. But there is definitely tweaks to be made here. You know, 26 years old. I'm a believer in him. Um, but I I don't with him, it's like if the switch, you know, if it flips, we could have a, a superstar in our hand, right? But it is a long way to go from an 87 OPS plus. For him, it's a, it's also a type of situation where he knows he needs to make these tweaks in order to take the next step
0: as a hitter. And that takes time and that takes effort and that takes focus. All things that Ryan Hayes does have, but you are less incentivized to do that if the team sucks. And if the front office is not necessarily spending the money, besides again, giving it to you, I get that, on the team and building a contender... Come Brian Hayes, if this team is good, I just have a feeling like it'll just click and he'll just put it together and he'll just become a really, really, really valuable player. But again, like you said, the, the defense at third is so good that the floor is so high. If he's an 88 OPS plus
1: guy, he's still a valuable player. Like he's still a really, <laughs> was, really good player. He was a four win player last year. Um, but again, you know, you're looking at, you know, 84th percentile hard hit rate. 13th percentile barrel rate, right? Like that's the whole problem there. Sneaky 20 steals last year? Did not know that at all. So maybe speed becomes part of his game too. But I love Cabrian Hayes. I hope he can become something more than that. All right, over under is 67 and a half. That is obviously much lower than their 74 win projection. What do you got on the Pirates? There is no team that I feel better about if I was a gambling man
0: than hitting the over on the 2023 Pirates. This is the one that I feel the most confident about. Take your betting advice from Jake Mintz at your own peril. But I think this team will not suck. I don't think they're going to be good. I don't think they're going to be quite like 2022 Orioles, like going above 500. Do I think this team could win 72 games? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they same. signed
1: I, I agree with you adults. on that. They signed adults. I agree with you on that, and I would take the over too. I certainly would not put this as my most confident over of the whole league, but I agree. And one more thing we should mention about the Pirates, number one pick. Congratulations, Dylan Cruz. Holy shit. Go look at Dylan Cruz's slash line and uh, have yourself a good day. All right. Uh, Next up, we have the Chicago Cubs, and we are going to bring in a special guest to talk about the Northsiders. So it is time to take a quick break, and we'll be back with Russell Dorsey.
3: Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the Sirius XM original podcast, Black Diamonds.
2: The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play?
3: Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society.
2: That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you.
3: Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life.
1: We are back here on our NL Central preview on Baseball BarberCast. We're very excited to be joined our good friend and national MLB insider for Valley Sports, it is Mr. Russell Dorsey. Russ, welcome to the show. Hello, friends. What's going on? Now,
0: Jordan often refers to various baseball players as our friends on this show and they are not our friends. However, Russ is definitely an actual friend. Well, I appreciate you guys saying that. Now, Russ, you at this point are a national person, but you live in Chicago and you once upon a time covered the Chicago Cubs. And I think it would be fair to say that that is the team that you have the best feel for. And we have brought you on to help us preview the 2023 Chicago Cubs, what is sure to be a very interesting season on the North side. They are projected for 75 wins. Russ, why don't you give us the uh, Spark Notes version of what happened in 2022 for the Cubs?
2: Uh, They really got to see the stripped-down version of the Cubs, right? Like I was on my last year on the beat was the final hurrah of Bryant Baez and Rizzo. And the two months that followed the trade deadline in 2021 was not good. And you really got to see what it is like to be a bottom of the barrel team, a last place team, if you will. And that that last week or two of that season, you had a lot of guys that had maybe started the year in double-A and they were playing in the big. And so going into 2022, you go and you get say Suzuki, right? You go and you get Marcus Stroman. And while those are good players, you really had a, a bottom-tier roster, no disrespect to the guys that played. But in comparison to some of those other teams that you expect to compete for not only uh the National League pennant, but for a title, like it, it was night and day different. But I, I really think for them, it was a year to see where are we at and what do we have. You you talk about, like, them giving some of these
0: younger guys a chance to shine, and as someone who followed the Orioles intently through their crappiness, so much of the conversation with the bad team is, which players on the
2: bad team will be on the next good team? I would say Justin Steele would be that guy, like, he came up in 2021, they used him out of the bullpen they used them in the rotation and they've kind of done this thing similar to what the Milwaukee Brewers have done, where you break a young guy in, in the bullpen, you can really manage and control the innings. You put them in the rotation. If things go well there, you you keep them there. If things don't, then you can put them back in the bullpen and then give them another shot in the rotation. And they did that for Justin. They did that for uh, Keegan Thompson as well. They used to do that for Albert Alzali before they said, all right, he's just going to be a bullpen guy. And I think, What Justin did from his rookie year in 21 to 22 was say, okay, these are my pitches. This is how you go about pitching in the big leagues. And then in 22, really took another jump and said, all right, every five days, this is what I'm going to have to do to be successful. And I think you you really saw a guy that said, I want to be in a big league rotation. But he took steps forward in 22. It was like, all right, maybe Justin Steele becomes a, a four or maybe even a three. Uh, in a really solid rotation.
0: Uh, Let's run through their offseason, because for a team that is not projected to make the playoffs, they were fairly busy on the way out the door. Wilson Contreras, Rafael Ortega, Wade Miley, Fran Reyes, and then Jason Hayward was put out of his misery. On the spectrum of horrible contracts, this guy somehow remained beloved in Chicago, which is such a testament To him as a guy. And on the way in, Dansby Swanson gets the big mega contract to play shortstop for the Cubs until we all have children. And then they got Trey Mancini, Cody Bellinger, Eric Hosmer, and Edwin Rios, who all kind of play the same position, sort of. Tucker Barnhart as catching depth. And Jamison Tyon got a nice, chunky contract that was signed, Russ, while we were all having dinner together at the winter meetings.
2: You are correct.
1: Jordan, do you want to run through the Cubs' starting lineup for me? Sure. So, behind the dish, it will be some combination of Tucker Barnhart and the holdover Jan Gomes. First base, I imagine, will be, as we just mentioned, some combination of Eric Hosmer and maybe Bellinger, maybe Patrick Wisdom, who is currently Slated to be over at third with Nick Madrigal. Second base, Nico Horner. Shortstop, Dansby Swanson. Lock that in. That is the one thing we know for sure, as well as left field. All-star, Ian Happ. Center field, we can expect a lot of Bellinger. And then right field, Again, Trey Mancini, is he out there? Is he playing first? Is he DHing? We will see. And then say Suzuki once he gets back from the injury. And then the rotation, um, Stroman, Tyon are the locks. Justin Steele, as you just mentioned, probably a lock as well. And then Drew Smiley, who they brought back. And then a really exciting rookie guy. I'm really high on Hayden Wesneski. Looks like maybe has the inside track on that job. The bullpen is maybe not quite as star-studded. You know, guys like Michael Fulmer, uh, Brad Boxberger, more on the veteran side, Brandon Hughes, was a nice kind of revelation for them. Kyle Hendricks is the other name obviously to mention it sounds like he's going to start the year on the IL. So that is the team. Now let's get to our biggest question. Let's begin with number 1, which is this group of Mancini, Bellinger, Hosmer. And you can put in Edwin Rios to this, Matt Mervis certainly on the cusp here, but I really think we need to focus on those first 3. All of them would seemingly qualify as bounce back candidates in de- different ways. Of that trio, what's the level of confidence For those bounce backs and like, which of them do we really think is going to be a big, big part of this team succeeding this year?
2: All right, I'll I'll answer the first base portion of it like this. It feels like and seems like from the names that you read off there, there's a ton of redundancy to go from Mervis to Edwin Rios to Mancini and Hosmer, there's a lot of they, what you might feel is the same guy. It's like, yo, Jed, Jed, you only got one DH. <laughs> <laughs> right, There are not four DHs. I think, uh, think, trying to think about it from a Cubs perspective. I know a lot of Cubs fans out there wanted Matt Mervis to be the guy straight out from the start of the camp. When the Cubs looked at this thing, it was a, we don't want a Bobby Dahl back situation where you hand a young guy the keys and he struggles, and then you have to go, all right, you're kind of not the first baseman anymore, and do you kill a kid's confidence doing that? So I think for them, it's if Mervis starts a triple-A, tears it up, you let somebody, injuries are going to happen, as we know, as we've seen recently, and you let Mervis play first base or DH, and then he tears it up and stays, cool. I think with the Hosmer uh, Mancini situation, Edward and Rios, I think they feel there's a lot more versatility in Rios with the ability to play first base, but also third base with the hodgepodge thing they have going on over there. I think Mancini, of all the names that we've mentioned there, is the one that they really feel can be that bounce-back guy as we talked about, Jordan, uh, and that Houston wasn't real, right? Like, whatever happened there, that's not the player that they think Trey Mancini and when you think about the power in Wrigley Field, I think they're really uh expecting him to to put up some serious numbers in a neutral ballpark.
1: I totally agree uh he's the one i'm I'm banking on just his track record was so much more stable and how he's looked in spring too and the way some of his teammates have already been talking about him. I just think we're all skeptical of the Bellinger situation. Not that he's doomed to be one of the worst hitters in baseball, and we know he can still be valuable just as a quality center fielder to some degree. I have one thing on Bellinger
2: because all offseason, it was just like, this seemed, this not only seems, this is an overpay, right? A guy gets $18 million for a guy who's been a below league average player for the better part of two and a half seasons and for the Chicago Cubs, they didn't have a guy on their 40 man roster who besides PCA and not ready yet, uh, who was a true center fielder. Right. And so if you look on the market, it was Bellinger and Kevin Kiermaier. And so you're obviously going for the upside play there, even though kind of feel like Bellinger is who he is at this point, the defense is so elite that you you say, okay, what he can do as a base runner the fact that he could really go out there and get it with the best of them in center field, and then whatever power he gives you, he gives you. And if he bounced back in some way, then you QO him and you get yourself a second-round pick. Like, I think that's probably what their their feelings were about Bellinger going into the offseason.
0: Let's move on to the next question here. Is this
2: the best middle infield in baseball, Russ Dorsey? Defensively, I think it's right up there, man. Like I understand what they got in in St. Louis is is pretty good there too, but I think when you look at whether it's out above average, whether it's defensive run save, what they're gonna be able to do up the middle with Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner, uh, it, it's gonna be special defensively. And with some with the different rules now with shifting, and I've talked to Dansby Swanson about this, like they're gonna be able to do some things because both of them are so athletic. And you can trust that the other guy over there is going to be able to get to something. So maybe you can cheat to one side or the other a little bit more, even though you can't shift and have multiple guys on one side, uh, three guys on one side of the infield. So I think the big thing for the Cubs this season uh, and a strategy for them, and if you look at all the moves, it it makes sense, turning batted balls into outs. I think Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins sat in a room and said, okay. We have to figure out this offense thing, but what we're going to do really well with all these starting pitchers that are two seamer changeup guys, we need to be able to pick up the baseball and we need to be able to catch it. Uh, And over the last year and a half, that hasn't been the strength of the Chicago Cubs. But I think going into this year, that's something that they're going to be able to hang their hat on every day.
0: Last question for you. Okay. Wilson Contreras Signed with the Cardinals over the offseason, longtime catcher for the Cubs. And he had some bizarre, spicy comments about Cubs World. Contreras was a fan favorite during his time on the North Side. Where is that relationship at right now between Cubs fans and Wilson Contreras, who, as a member of the Cardinals, will be coming to Wrigley Field quite a bit over the next
2: five seasons? I. And I think it's safe to say that there will be no love lost between uh, Cubs fans and Wilson Contreras. I think people really like Wilson Contreras as a player for the Chicago Cubs and it's talking from a fan's perspective there. I heard all the comments that you're referring to. And yeah, it does sound kind of spicy. And it, it's, it's like you want the Cubs fans to maybe boo you or like not like you. And I understand that. One, you're going to their number one rival. So there's going to be some animosity there. Uh, number two, doesn't this happen? Like, I understand the guys leave in free agency and, you know, you get the big ovation, or but that doesn't always happen, right? Like, at some point, everybody's not going to be happy. And I think Wilson is the type of player that can use that to his advantage and wants to use that to his advantage, where he's always been a his heart on his sleeve guy, very emotional guy. And so I think that first a B at Wrigley, when I imagine there are a lot of boos, he's probably going to relish that and try to use that. But what's so funny is this
0: this motherfucker cried. He cried. He did the last week of the season, he was like sad that his tenure was ending, and that's totally legitimate. I'm not saying there was were fake tears. Like I believe that that was real. But yeah. when you talk about him wearing his heart on his sleeve, I imagine it's a type of situation where he said to himself. I need to find a way to motivate myself. I'm going to get myself into this spicy mess here so that I can, you know, use that to to drive me. It's just a very fascinating switch from crying his last week in the Cubs dugout to taking shots at the franchise.
2: I don't think they both have to be mutually exclusive. You know what I mean? Like, I think you can both say, hey, man, I love my time here. I've been in this organization since I was 16 years old won a world series here and i he cried when they he thought his last game was gonna be at the deadline didn't get traded cried when the season was over in that last ab at wrigley and then you go into free agency and you're just like man maybe i, or I feel disrespected that i didn't get one traded but two get that long-term extension that i wanted so i could stay in chicago and yeah. so now yeah i'll play billy
1: the last thing about wilson is like it's not just that he went to the Cardinals. It's that he's replacing Yachty Molina. Like Yachty Molina has to be near the top of the most hated players among Cubs fans, if not the top for years now. And so for him to be the guy to take over for Yachty is obviously weird enough from a Cardinals fan perspective, I'm sure. But I think also from a Cubs fan perspective, because it's like Cardinals catcher is enemy number one. <laughs> All right, last thing for you. Uh, we've been asking people there, Barry Bonds of this team. No, not the one that's going to hit uh, 73 home runs. We're talking about who is going to determine the the biggest you know uh, X factor for this season. If this player succeeds or fails, it will have the biggest impact on the season. Who is their barometer Bonds, Russ Dorsey?
2: I'm going to say it is their big-money free agent signing Dansby Swanson. Spring training has been going on for maybe three, three three-and-a-half weeks, maybe a month now, and he is already the undisputed leader of their clubhouse, and that's what they wanted him to be. If Dansby Swanson is good, that's really good news for the Chicago Cubs. But I also believe he's one of those guys, you know, the guy that just wins everywhere he goes, the guy who's the best player on the best teams, was the – captain of all of those teams, that's Dansby Swanson. And I think the relationship between Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner is going to be really important to the Cubs' success. And if those two guys are playing well, that means you're probably going to be playing kick-ass defense, and people are going to be really excited about the Chicago Cubs and what that future holds. If Dansby doesn't play well, then you have all the, oh, did we make the right decision in free agency? You know, Should we have gotten this guy? Should we have gotten that guy? And I don't think that's where you want to be in... What I would believe is your year prior to you being a legitimate contender for a postseason spot. Also, like the delta, the difference
0: between what Dansby has been and what he was last year is so large. You know, he could go out and be an 83 OPS plus guy or he could go out there and be a 120 OPS plus guy. Right? He could be a six win player or he could be a one and a half win player. Right. Eh, that's pretty hard good defense, but right. you get my point, right? Like yeah. whether or not he hits, we really don't know how reliable Dansby Swanson is
2: as a hitter. Right. With what you saw from Dansby, I think the Cubs believe that there is an ascent coming in the offensive production. Like I think they believe that what we saw from him last year, specifically in the power and run produce, uh, run production departments, that's only going to increase in a place like a Wrigley Field in a hitter-friendly division like the NL Central, where you're playing a lot of games in Milwaukee. You're playing at that bandbox in Cincinnati, uh, Great American Ballpark. You're playing in Wrigley. If we saw 275, 30, and 90, because he's going to be in more of a, like, you're not going to be, you're not going to have a Freddie Freeman, a Austin Riley, a uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. driving those runs. Dansby is going to be that guy driving in those runs on this particular Cubs team in this specific season.
0: We have talked about this team quite mm-hmm. enough, so it is time for the over or the under. Jordan Schusterman, yes. Las Vegas is an amorphous blob, a place that I have no desire to go visit for bachelor party or vacation. On our uh, on a recent episode, we said that DeShitthosar did not give off the vibe of someone who likes Vegas. Uh, Russ Dorsey is the opposite. This is a man <laughs> who I feel like absolutely loves visiting Vegas. And so we will ask you about the Vegas line. Jordan, what is it?
1: 76 and a half is the number that I could find again, a little higher than their projection. I'll start and I'll say over. I'm not super bullish on the Cubs this season, but I think that there are definitely enough, enough steps uh, forward to be had where 76 and a half should be able to be cleared. But where, how are you
2: feeling Russ? I'm going to say over. And if they land in that seventy eight. To eighty one range. I think that is probably where they're going to be. If you look at what they did this offseason and put it into a few words, they raised their floor, right? They raised what their floor was. They brought in veteran players who have track record that fit what their needs are for this specific season. I think this is just like last year was, like seeing what you have. I think 23 is saying all right, we start bringing in some free agents like Dansby Swanson. We bring in a Jamison Tyone. We bring in some veteran help in our bullpen. And now those games that you would probably lose four to three, three to two, maybe you start winning some of those four to three, three to two ball games, and that flips what your ultimate number of wins is. I think their ability to play defense is going to be something that wins them a lot of games, and I think that the starting pitching is probably going to be the thing that moves the needle. Like what young guy takes another step up, right? To steel turn into maybe a borderline all-star this year, right?
0: I will also take the over. I think there is a sneaky amount of depth on this team. Bad teams are bad, not just because of their 26 best players, but because of the 10 to 15 behind them when people inevitably get injured. And what I really like about this Cubs team is there are You know, besides the five guys in the rotation, Kyle Hendricks, who's on the IL, there's like a number of guys in the minor leagues you could look at and say, oh, Javier Assad just looked awesome in the WBC. Adrian Sampson was sneaky incredible last year in like 110 innings. I did not realize this. They have guys who can make a difference backing up the guys in the big leagues. And that includes some of those top prospects like Mervis and Brennan Davis And what that means is I think that raises the floor just as much as the big free agent signings. Russ Dorsey, thank you so much, so much for joining us. Where can people find you besides a Las Vegas casino?
2: (laughs) But to answer your question, uh, (laughs) at Russ Dorsey underscore one on Twitter, at Russ Dorsey on uh, IG. Uh, You can catch me on Bally Sports on the rally every day at 4.30 Eastern. Uh, Russdorsey.com has all my content written, uh, interviews, including the recent one I did with Danby Swanson that you can catch in all those different places.
1: Definitely check out the Dansby interview. But yes, this was wonderful. Thank you, Russ. We will uh, talk to you again soon, my friend.
2: Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
3: Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds.
2: The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play?
3: Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society.
2: That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you.
3: Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life.
0: We're back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. It is time to crack open a cold one. Pour yourself a nice frothy glass of Milwaukee Brewers. We are going to talk about them right now. This team is projected for 86 wins, the exact total they finished with a year ago. They were in the mix for the last NL wildcard spot for most of the season, but the magic of the Philadelphia Phillies was too much to overcome and the Brewers went flat down the stretch. Their winter was kind of interesting. Out the door, Jace Peterson, who is better than you realize, Omar Narvaez, Brad Boxberger, Andrew McCutcheon, Taylor Rogers, Colton Wong, Trevor Gott, and Hunter Renfro. Lorenzo Kane retired, but whatever. On the way in, Jesse Winker, Brian Anderson from the Marlins, not the broadcaster who's already there. William Contreras, the heist of the century from the Atlanta Braves, and they signed Wade Miley and traded for Abraham Toro. Jordan Schusterman, I'm now going to walk you through the Milwaukee Brewers' starting lineup. Behind the dish will be William Contreras, who they got from Atlanta. First base, Rowdy Tellez. Second base, Bryce Terang looks to get the majority of the time there. I would expect a little bit of Owen Miller, a little bit of Kesson Hura, a little bit of Mike Brasso even maybe over at second with Luis Urias mixing in. Over there, But Urias looks to get the bulk of the time at third base with Willie Adamas at the sixth. In the outfield, it'll be Garrett Mitchell, one of the weirder athletes in the world of baseball. Get ready to think about him. He's in center field. And the corners are Brian Anderson and the fallen from grace, Christian Yelich, with Jesse Winker getting a lot of time at DH. The rotation at the top is good as it's ever been with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff leading a very strong group. Eric Lauer, Freddie Peralta, and Wade Miley. Uh, Wade Miley, pretty good as a five-starter. Pretty impressive pitching group for the Brewers. In the bullpen, a bit worse than it's been in previous seasons. We will talk about that. Devin Williams is one of the best relievers in the world. Matt Bush is not. They also have Hobie Milner and Javi Guerra alongside Peter Strzelecki. I believe is the correct way to pronounce that. Jordan those are the Brewers. Do you have any questions about
1: them? Not many, but we will stick to three, our three biggest. And let's begin with one that is maybe obvious, but let's start with Christian Jelic. Um, Hunter Renfro, who we just threw in there last year, he led this team in OPS Plus last year with his very standard Hunter Renfro 255, 315, 492 line and 29 home runs. And while they did have some other respectable hitters, we are still waiting for Christian Yelich to awaken from his now three-season-long slumber of mediocrity. And at this point, I don't know if we are, is it even worth still waiting for some sort of higher ceiling here? I don't really know. He's still someone that is still exhibiting pretty elite on-base ability and not chasing whatever, but any semblance of impact and I don't think he was still injured last year. He played 154 games, but maybe he was still battling something there. Are we stupid to keep waiting for even something like an all-star level Christian Yelich let alone MVP? Maybe. Is that a
0: good answer for you? I well, think it's, it's important you can explain it. <laughs> I think it's important to understand what's happened here. Okay, so 2019, he is Unreal. He is unreal in 2019. I don't have it right in front of me. What is it, like a
1: 177 OPS plus? 179, and that's after he won the MVP, right? That's when he his second. He won it in 18. So yes, 179 in 19, 164 in 18. And then he starts developing some back problems.
0: He's fine in a small sample size in 2020, but the biggest difference between that great season in 19 and his blah season in 21, his launch angle goes from 11.3 degrees to 2.8 degrees, and if that's a little too mathy for some people, I get it. It is very simple. He stopped hitting the ball at an optimal angle that allows him to hit it in the air and just started beating it into the ground like he was playing whack-a-mole. His exit velocities didn't really change all that much. His swing decisions didn't really change all that much, right? He was hitting the ball a little bit softer than he was before, which I think is a result of the back problems that he was having, especially in 2021. But if he had just kept hitting the ball in the air, I think we would have seen a decline from 179 OPS plus to like 130. But instead, it went all the way down to about league average. And that's why I have some concern is that I think the back issues forced him to change some of his swing mechanics and his approach. And he is not the player that he was before. Now, he does have two opposite field home runs in spring training that I went back and watched. And that is when you know Christian Yelich is at his best. Like he, even like before Juan Soto was doing it, was the prototype of getting your lower half under the baseball and having all of this lower half flexibility that allows you to adjust and elevate pitches in different parts of the strike zone. And without that flexibility, that pliability resulting from some of the physical problems he's had, he's not able to do the thing that he has the best at. And then once he struggled, I think from there, it kind of spiraled out of control on him and he had to learn what it was like to be bad at baseball for the first time in his life. I think that he will be fine. He was not bad last year. It was 111 OPS plus. It wasn't even below league average. I will say he's around a 118 OPS plus hitter, but nothing like he is getting paid to be. And I'm sure that is a bit Like, the Brewers front office knows that this is happening, right? They're not just, like, sitting on their hands and being like, oh, the guy we gave this enormous contract to is bad. Like, that stinks. Like, they're trying to figure this out, you know? It's not like they're just hoping it gets better. I'm just skeptical if Jelic is going to be able to turn the clock back.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. But again, he's, what is he, 30? 31. He's 31. He still led the team in on-base percentage last year. He's good, but the problem with this Brewers team is they they haven't had the offensive since he has descended from MVP level. The offensive guy that that scares you, right? Willie Adamas is awesome, but his OBP is under 300 last year, and he you can you can get him out, right? You can get him out, um, and that's the thing. Rowdy, you know, had a bit of a breakout last year. But you can you can get these guys out. And Yellich was the guy you could not get out, and now he's just not quite as scary as he used to be. All right, let's move on to our next question. We have to talk about William Contreras here. I'll let you ask the question about William Contreras because I think you phrased it well. Is the William Contreras heist Ocean's Eleven, or putting a bag of chips in your pocket at the bodega when no one's looking? How cool is the heist? To me, I'm going to slightly, I'm going to slightly remix your your analogy here because I love it. To me. They stole a case with a undeterred. You know that there is money in it, but you don't know exactly how much money is in it. And so you got away. Like, you got it. He is... You got the case. You are now back at your... Wherever you are, and you are about to open up the case. And what we're going to see this season is, how much money did we actually get here? Because if William Contreras is going to turn in to a competent catcher and continue to hit like an all-star, then my God, you just hit the jackpot because you traded someone in Esther Ruiz who, sure, you can find some nerds and some scouts that love this guy. He's also someone that they just traded for and got nine plate appearances last year and was not an important part of their future. And so that that is why this is such a big deal is, is this as good as it looks? Is this as amazing of a heist as it seems to be? The reality is with William Contreras is that his track record is very short and his all-star season last year was a kind of a perfect storm of sample size and playing for the right team and hitting in the right spots. Like if you look at his minor league track record, this is someone whose prospect stock had gone down before this breakout. Last year, and it all came together. So as it looks right now on paper, you just traded for a 25-year-old all-star catcher with whatever many years of control without giving up anything that you really needed this year. Looks amazing. How good is he really? How much can they help the defense? That's the biggest question. There is a reason the
0: Braves traded him away. I think it's important to understand. There was some skepticism in Atlanta internally about how viable he was going to become as a defensive catcher, as a game caller, as a framer, right? And I think that is something that the Brewers value too. But it was just so worth it to bring this guy in that they had to do it. The question for me really is, does he become a great DH? A great first baseman or a great corner outfielder? Or does he become a great catcher? Because I do think Victor Caratini will still get a decent amount of time behind the dish. Last question for these Brewers. We are so used to seeing a dominant Brewers bullpen. It was a staple of those peak Yelich Hater teams. Last year's group was pretty blah. I believe their team ERA was around like the 19th, 20th in baseball. And that ended up being the difference in them not getting into the postseason. A dominant relief group probably does enough to vault them over the Phillies. It's Mm -hmm. a pretty similar group. They definitely don't have the high-end depth that they've had in the past with Hater and Williams. It's just Williams at this point. So, Jordan, I guess is this pen good enough to – Make the difference for the brewers,
1: yeah, I mean when your rotation is this good, you're not as as worried about it, uh but it it is a different it is a different flavor, and yes, you know, I trust Craig Council to kind of figure this out and to kind of figure out who are the guys in this group, whether it is a Peter Streley, whether it is a boring Hobie Milner. Whether it is like, you know, Aaron Ashby, I know he's now going to be out because he's he's been injured. But if he comes back and is there's not a rotation spot because Peralta and Miley and Lauer are throwing well, like that is a legitimate bullpen weapon that could be high end, right? And and, and that's projecting, you know, maybe a little bit optimistic on the health. Um, but, you know, they also have some guys like, I'm, maybe I'm digging deep here, but Abner Uribe is a name oh, that yeah. could come up. And I, I don't know if that's a little aggressive, but that is someone who stuff wise is more than major league ready uh, strikes wise, maybe not. But that's someone that you could just see shoot to the big leagues by June. And now you're like, oh, well, here we go. Here we go again. Now we're, we're terrified of him in the seventh or the eighth. I'm inclined to trust the Brewers front office to build themselves a good
0: bullpen. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I'm looking at what happened last year. And I'm like, well, you didn't do it last year when you really needed it, so I'm a little bit more skeptical moving into 2023. And that's related to our barometer bonds, which is Devin Williams, their shutdown closer who threw the ninth inning last night or the eighth inning last night for Team USA. The airbender was on full display. He is our barometer bonds here because he needs to be dominant. If he is not elite, if he is not dominant, this bullpen will struggle.
1: Yeah, and he was – so historically insane in 2020 with his Rookie of the Year season that 2021, when he still you know struck out 87 guys in 54 innings, felt like a disappointment. It was like, oh, he's just a regular good reliever. Last year, back, you know, All-Star looked like, again, like a top five reliever in the league. And he now has to be that because I just don't know exactly what I'm getting out of the rest of this group. Um, I mean, he's talked about like it was like, oh, well, what's he gonna do now without hater? He's fine. He's I know they had a couple disasters <laughs> after the hater trade. I, I believe in Devin Williams, but but the standard is high and he needs to reach it. He needs to meet that. And so I think that I I, I agree with you. I think he's a, a very good candidate here. I will take
0: the over on 86 and a half. Where do you stand?
1: I'm gonna take the slight under. Um I I wanna I wanna love what's going on here in in Milwaukee, but as we're about to talk about the Cardinals, I, this was a running bit last year with with our colleague Pedro Mora at Fox Sports. Like I was all in the Cardinals, and and Jake and Pedro like, no, you got to believe in the Brewers and. I, I I wanted to believe in the Brewers more than I wanted to believe in the Cardinals, and yet the Cardinals just had the magic sauce, which we're about to get into. So I'll take the slide under here. I still would probably pick them to finish second. I still like them more than the Cubs. I know some people think the Cubs have now kind of caught up to Milwaukee. I still think the Brewers are clearly ahead of them, but I just I like St. Louis more. So that is the Brew crew. Let us move on to our defending champions in the NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinales projected to win 88 games. What happened to them last year? Jake Mintz, they won more than 88 games. That's for sure. Yes, they
0: did. They won the NL Central in a romp, went to the NL wild card round, and fell victim to the Magic Phillies. Just a very memorable, bizarre wild card uh, pair of games, losing both. And that was the end for the Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina era. They went in the offseason, and they did basically nothing except for signing Wilson Contreras, Jose Quintana, Corey Dickerson, Albert Pujols, and Molina out the door. Their starting lineup entering the season behind the plate is Contreras. First base, Paul Goldschmidt, who casually won the NL MVP last year. Brendan Donovan, a breakout star from 2022, will be at second. Shortstop, Tommy Edmond. Third base, Nolan Arenado. Ever heard of him? And the outfield will be Tyler O'Neill, Lars newt and Dylan Carlson in some formation. Who knows who plays center, right, and left? It doesn't totally matter. The DH right now looks to be either Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, or rookie Jordan Walker, who we will talk about. The rotation hey, is just Team USA. Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis, Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, and Steven Matz. The bullpen we see as underrated. Ryan Helsley, Giovanni Gallegos, and Andre Palante will lead that group. Jordan Hicks will throw 103 and still get rocked. Here are our three questions. Number one, can this team survive without striking hitters out in the year of our Lord 2023? They had the lowest K per nine of any team in baseball a year ago. But Jordan, you feel like they know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it worked last year. And as we said, the only... I mean, this has to be the least change of any contender um, in terms of like new additions than almost. I mean, I guess the Yankees are sort of similar in terms of one big addition, uh, one big change. And so the only way I see this strategy totally failing is if Wilson Contreras is so much worse of a defender and game caller than Yadi Molina and Andrew Kisner. That the pitching for some reason is that much worse, but stylistically, this is the whole point of the club. This is this. They know exactly what they're doing. We are going to catch and throw the baseball, as you like to tell your little league kids. We're going to catch and throw the baseball. This team is marvelous defensively all over the diamond. Wilson Contreras now the only question mark about that, but again, they seem very optimistic about making turning him also into a a more of a plus defender. He clearly has the work ethic to make that happen. But yeah, all these ground ball guys, whether it is Wainwright, whether it is Michaelis, Dakota Hudson, certainly, you know, pounding balls into the ground. You know, Jordan Montgomery and Steven Matz, those guys are capable of getting whiffs um, even more than, than than you might think. But that's also relative, you know. But that bullpen, too, with with Palante, with Hicks, uh, Helsley's the one obvious strikeout guy. But other than that, like, that's – it's on purpose. They It is not an accident. This is how they've chosen to build their team. That's why they have gold gloves all over the place. It can work. It's very different. It's a very different flavor, but it's hard to argue against it. That's the thing. It's
0: easy to roll your eyes at the Cardinals and be like, blah, this team is getting by on magic. They're playing a different brand of run prevention baseball. They're letting their incredible defense work. They're letting them cook, right? They are turning batted balls into outs. Mm -hmm. And I have to say it is worth a watch. You will see less swings and misses and less whiffs and less trudges back to the dugout. But you'll see a lot more diving plays than you will for some other teams. Next question: Who behind Arenado and Goldschmidt is going to be
1: St. Louis's third best hitter? So last year they had two of the top three MVP uh, candidates in uh, you know, finishers. You know Arenado finishing third, uh, Goldie winning the award. Both of them, after already having incredible careers, putting up career seasons. Goldschmidt with a 180 OPS plus, Arenado a one. 54, and their third best hitter was 42 year old Albert Pujols, and he's not on the team anymore. As Thank you God, I've seen. <laughs> um And so while they did have some other solid hitters, a lot of people are buying the Newt Bar breakout this season. But the rest of that, and, and Donovan, of course, uh, mostly on the strength of his his on base skills, but not a lot of pop there. There's there's a lot of upside. There's you can find someone that loves Tyler O'Neill. You could find someone that even loves Nolan Gorman, who was a top prospect. Whether it's uh, a guy, Tommy Edmond, too, who looked really good offensively to start the year. Um, the entire Boston country well. of, the entire country of Japan loves Lars Nupar. Well, Exactly, exactly. You can find, you know, 60 million people <laughs> that, that were watching Team Japan that love Lars newtbar But, one of those guys does have to take that step forward because the, they, they got pretty lucky with Albert Pujols being one of the best hitters in baseball last year. Credit to Albert. He's an all-time great. But that was not part of the plan. It's not like they went into the season last year thinking, all right, so Pools will be our third best hitter and that's how we'll win the division. That's kind of what happened. So they're going to need some of these other guys to step up because I, as amazing as Goldie and Arenado are, I, it would be hard to pencil in what they just did again this season let's move on to our last
0: question. And that is actually about one of the candidates to be the third best hitter. Jordan Walker, one of the top prospects in baseball looks like he's going to make the team out of camp. And if not out of camp, he'll be up pretty shortly. Jordan Schusterman, who is Jordan Walker? Why is he so interesting? And does he contribute in 2023?
1: So Jordan Walker, who does not turn 21 until May was the Cardinals' first-round pick in the Bizarro 2020 draft. And the Bizarro 2020 draft is something that the Cardinals are looking to come out of looking better than basically every other team. Many teams will come out of that five-round draft having literally acquired zero major leaguers Whereas the Cardinals have already uh, given themselves Alec, Alec Burleson, who made uh, the big leagues last year, as well as their top three picks, all of which are top 100-type talents in Walker, Mason Wynn, and Tink Hens. Jordan Walker last season in A as a 20-year-old um, hit, sure, only 19 home runs, but an 898 OPS. And Springfield is not an easy place to hit. The Texas League in general is not an easy place to hit. This dude has more raw power than almost anyone else in the minor leagues. He showed it off with a massive spring training showing. He also did it in the fall league, which makes you feel a little bit better about the fact that he has not played in AAA yet, right? But what he's shown in the fall league, what he's shown in spring training this year, feels like he might already be one of their best hitters. The Cardinals aren't necessarily a team to push guys as aggressively as maybe a San Diego. But like this is a situation where they clearly believe in this guy. He's done everything they could possibly ask for him. He's forced the question of, sure, he came up and was drafted as a third baseman. We know what third base is going to be for the Cardinals. But with the question marks with those guys in the outfield, who we all do still sort of believe in, is Walker the best fit in the outfield? Can he be immediately one of their best hitters this season? I I don't know, but I would love to see them give it a shot. There is a lot of room between Bobby Dahlbeck
0: and Aaron Judge, is what I will say. Walker will fall somewhere in between those two. He is not, he's going to have too much swing and miss, especially right out the gate, where I think, I don't think he's going to win rookie of the year or anything. He's going to strike out a lot. He's going to hit a couple home runs that are going to drop your jaw, that are going to go 470 feet, right? He's going to do that this year. I do think in time he can develop into one of their best hitters. But I think for this season, in the playoffs, we see him hitting seventh instead of him hitting uh, fifth or second, if that makes sense.
1: I also think I agree with that. I also think the challenge is that, again, because all those outfielders do have levels of pedigree that you you don't want to just... Unless you're going to trade them for pitching, which it doesn't seem like they are that aggressive in doing right now... There are other situations with top prospects where it's like, what the fuck are we doing? Like he's so much better than the random veteran we're throwing out there. That's not the case with the Cardinals. All these guys are still in their mid-20s, still have a lot of promise, still either recently showed capabilities of being really good. So it's not like he's obviously their best option, but he might be their best option, right? So it's it, that, that is what makes the situation so so interesting. I think he'll be up soon. I wouldn't bet on him breaking camp, but I do think uh, that he will be he will be a big part of their season this year. Like Alec Burleson would start in left field for the Yankees. All right, let's talk (laughs) about our barometer
0: bonds. Jack Flaherty, who was one of the best pitchers on planet Earth and planet Mars in 2019, tossing 196 and a third innings to a 275 ERA and 231 strikeouts that earned him a fourth place Cy Young finish and some MVP votes. And then the panorama happened. He threw a bunch of balls into a mattress during lockdown and came out not the same. He has struggled with shoulder injuries ever since that sparkling 2019 season. He's still only 27 years old, right? That's what's important to remember. This guy is younger than both of us, okay? There is still a lot of potential in the tank for Jack Flaherty, even if it feels like he's been around forever. He is healthy in camp this year. And if he is able to contribute to this Cardinal staff, and strike guys out for a team that does not strike a lot of guys out, he is crucial, especially when you consider that this pitching staff is the Achilles hero, Achilles heel of the team.
1: Yeah, and I just, I have no idea what to expect from him because there were many times over the last three years where it's like, Chuck Flaherty's healthy. It's like, all right, that's awesome, but it has not sustained. We've said this before, shoulder is so much scarier than elbow, um, and It's just something that if you are repeatedly returning to the IL because of it, I I am just going to smash the under on however many innings you're projected to throw. I hope I'm wrong. He has every personal incentive to figure his shit out this season as he could be entering like <laughs> there's huge opportunity here as he's a free agent after this season. Uh you know, maybe he has another season like 2021 where he's effective when he's on the mound, but he can't stay on whereas he just wasn't very good in 2022. I don't know, man. I I just I'm I have no idea what to expect with him, but that's why he's perfect candidate for this. Because the, the talent is, is undeniable. It's so much higher than, than anyone else on this pitching staff. And so I'm rooting for him, but I, I don't – Shoulders just scare the shit out of me. So I, I am going to be very cautious projecting too optimistically here. Jordan's Halloween costume is a
0: strained shoulder. <laughs> the over-under here is 88.5. What do you think, man?
1: I'll, I'll, I'll take the over. I still think, again, like it worked so well for them last year. I'm, I'm, as I said, like I like what the Cubs did. I thought they got a little bit better. I just think that this team is, has a really, really safe baseline. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I would go 93 like last year, but 88.5, I feel good about the over here. I'd still pick them for the division. Can I push? I think they'll finish at either 89
0: or 88. This is like the over under I feel the worst about compared to the Pirates, who I feel the best about. I just am so iffy on this pitching staff. I understand the point of it is to get balls and play and turn them the outs, but I still don't think they're really that good. If Adam Wainwright, who is 78 years old, is someone you are legitimately relying on, and I understand he's been valuable and good over the last couple of seasons, I just, how is that the plan, man? How is that the plan? That really, really scares me. That is the NL Central. Uh, sounds like you're picking the Cardinals. I am I will, picking the
1: Cardinals. Yeah, I am.
0: I will pick a tie. Between the Cardinals and Brewers, and we have one of those sexy one-game playoffs, with a loser going into the wild card round. Not because this is the NL Central and not the NL East or the NL West. <laughs> Anything else to say about this division before we bid everyone adieu?
1: No, no, this was good. Uh, I feel I'm, I'm I'm pretty pretty amped about this. We'll be back on Friday with our AL Central preview. Excited for that one. But again, as a reminder, get you some merch. Merch Madness is here. And we have it. It is available. It is goofy. We hope you like it. Uh, let us know what your favorite uh, piece of, of merch is. We will have the link of that in the description of the podcast. Um, so it's not just Jake that can wear these hats. Uh, but yeah, we we are excited about that. So thank you to Russ Dorsey for joining us for some for some Cubs chatter. Uh, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. As always, if you haven't checked out our WBC Reaction Pod. You can find that on the same feed. I thought that was a lot of fun and we hope people enjoyed that if you want our final WBC thoughts. But yes, the season previews roll on. On Friday with the AL Central, the season is almost here. It begins a week from tomorrow. Oh my God, that is opening day. Until then, enjoy your week and we will talk to you very soon.
3: Serious XM Podcasts.